भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम विष्णु बनाया कृष्ण बृष्टाय भूतदय श्रीमानी बाक्षवेदांत स्वामी नित्य नमने नमस्ते सरस्वतदेवे गौरवाणी प्रचारने निर्वशेषे शून्यवारी पाश्चाचरने श्रीकृष्ण चैतन्य प्रभु नितनंद श्रीअद्वैतगदाधाश्वस्ति गौरभक्तवृंद हरे कृष्णा हरे कृष्णा 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 हरे 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 राम हरे राम 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 हरे हरे from Shema Vavan Kanotan chapter 70 verse 29 Tano Bhavan Pranata Shoka Har Angra Yugmo Bad Anvi Yungsva Magad Av Vaya Karma Pasat यो बुबु जयुथा मतंगा वीरमेको बिब्रोदने मृगौरादी have surrendered shoka sorrow hara which remove angri of feet yogma whose pair badan bound viyuksva please release magada avaya 
going by the name Maghara, karma, a fruit of work, pashat, from the fetters, ya, who, bubuja, kings, ayuta, ten thousand, matam, maddened, gudja, of elephants, viryam, prowess, Eka, alone, Hibrat, wielding, Ruroda, imprisoned, Bhavane, in his residence, Mrigarat, uh, the lion, Eva, just as, Avi, sheep. Translation, therefore, since your feet relieve the sorrow, of those who surrender to them, please release us prisoners from the shackles of karma manifest as the king of Magadha, wielding alone the prowess of 10,000 maddened elephants. He has locked us up in his house just as a lion captures sheep. Report the kings here pray for the Lord to release them from the bondage of karma created by the Lord's material potency. The kings make it clear that Jarasandha is so powerful that there's no hope for them to escape by their own power. Uh, so this is a uh, conclusion of a uh, prayer by the kings imprisoned by Jarasandha. At the same time as being a prayer, and it's also a request, uh, usually we have uh, devotees making prayers and they have a specific request sometimes. Uh, of course, we also know that uh, generally we shouldn't ask for anything from the Supreme Lord uh, because our bhakti should be without you know, material motivation or desire for liberation. Uh, however, uh, we see that devotees sometimes do pray for something. Of course, many devotees are very intelligent and devotional, and therefore they simply pray to the Lord for a good bhakti or for getting the mercy of the Lord, etc., which is very fine for us. Uh, in other words, uh, though we are not to ask for anything, uh, the devotees do have desires, uh, and our desire is to somehow please Krishna. Uh, so the stronger that desire is, the stronger Krishna is pleased. Uh, so we don't give up desire, so we can manifest that desire uh, in requests for service or whatnot, uh, rather than for material acquisition. So if it's not particularly for our own material benefit or, or even benefit of liberation, then it is uh, not only um, permissible, but actually it is praiseworthy. Uh, so, uh, here the kings, of course, uh, have a specific request, which is, we can say, materially contaminated in one sense, because they please release us from this prison. <laughs> but, on the other hand, uh, uh, it's a little more, uh, say, uh, philosophically uh, shaded, uh, because they also talk about the bondage of karma, that uh, you should release us from the bondage of karma, uh, they, they realize that their imprisonment is also part of their own karma. 
and that they have created this situation for themselves due to the um, you know their activities in the past and whatever. So whatever suffering they've created for other living entities is reflected in their own situation now, where they're in prison. Uh, so uh, they do have some sort of philosophical realization at the same time, and. Uh, not only they understand that uh, their action or their circumstance now is due to karma, but they also realize that the only solution is to surrender to the Supreme Lord, uh, which is also very positive. Of course, we also know that people who surrender because of their suffering condition are a type of mixed devotees. We have the Arta Arti, the uh, Arta uh, Arti, and the Arta Arti. Uh, they have material desires, either they're suffering or they desire Arta, material benefits, and they're asking for something. So uh, these are called mixed devotees because their devotion is tinged with desires to get something from the Lord. Uh, on the other hand, we know that most people will approach the Lord in the beginning because they do have some problem in this world. <laughs> They're not so happy with the material condition. They want a better condition. Uh, so this is often a common approach to the Supreme Lord, and the Lord accepts that also. <laughs> but we have these classifications of mixed bhakti and pure bhakti because we should progress beyond the mixed type of bhakti and come to that pure level eventually. And when we come to that pure level, then our advancement towards bhava and prema is uh, quicker. So uh, here we find their circumstance of suffering in the prison uh, motivates them to uh, surrender to uh, Supreme Lord after realizing that uh, karma is insurmountable. Uh, so it's also, we can say, a correct conclusion. Uh, we cannot destroy the karma by uh, effort on our own. Uh, now we do have other methods like jnana and yoga. Eventually they do destroy karma because they give liberation. However, if we examine closely, uh, we can understand that even the jnana and the karma don't really give liberation. Uh, uh, they help, definitely. But the ultimate key for liberation for the jnani and yogi is mercy of the Lord also. And if they don't get that mercy, no liberation. So in other words, Supreme Lord is the giver of liberation, not your own effort. So even if they desire that impersonal liberation, they have to get the mercy of the Lord for that. Therefore, it's described that jnana, which offends the Lord, is useless. One cannot get liberation with that. One will fall from one's position. Yeah. So the jnana must be mixed with some degree of bhakti. Uh, however, the Lord is quite merciful and he doesn't demand you have to surrender completely to me it's just to get liberation in Brahman because otherwise uh, they wouldn't even be, uh, you know, jnanis at all. They would be devotees in that case <laughs> and they wouldn't want liberation. Uh, but uh, they have to have an acceptance of the Lord and some uh, uh, recognition of the Lord's power for giving liberation and respect the Lord properly. Then the Lord gives them that liberation after all their hard endeavor and their offering respect to him. He gives them liberation, uh, which is, we can say, a little bit peculiar because if they surrender to the Lord to get liberation, why don't they just simply surrender to the Lord and go into the spiritual world? 
because they've been cultivating this desire for liberation and that's what they want. The Lord gives it to them. Uh, so, uh, therefore, even karma and jnana are ultimately dependent upon uh, mercy of the Lord and bhakti. Uh, so, uh, yes, karma, to get, destroy that karma then ultimately and get liberation. Uh, uh, of course, we can say the destruction of com- karma completely means liberation. So to destroy all that karma, then definitely the Lord must give his mercy for that, whether it's through jnana or yoga huh? or through bhakti. In any case, uh, mercy of the Lord is necessary. Uh, material endeavors cannot produce an end to karma. Huh? Uh, in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Mama Maya Duratyaya, difficult, impossible to get over my uh, bondage of karma. Huh? Maya is very, very difficult to surpass. Huh? Uh, so, uh, definitely the mercy of the Lord is necessary to get even liberation. Huh? So, uh, of course, here the immediate problem is for the kings is that they are suffering in the prison. Uh, uh, but uh, this represents, of course, a bigger situation. And the kings also realize that. Uh, previously, they prayed that we wasted our whole lifetime in asking for material things, getting material positions, etc. And we realize all useless. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, not only the present situation is a problem, but the whole material world is a problem. And the kings also realize that. Uh, 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 however, their immediate request is, please release us from the bondage of this prison. Uh, and uh, uh, the condition in this case is that uh, the prison is impossible to escape, almost, uh, just like the uh, you know, material world. Uh, so it's described here how uh, Jarasandha has imprisoned them in such a way that uh, they can't get out. They, he has the prowess of 10,000 maddened elephants. Uh, so impossible for a normal person to uh, combat that. Huh? Uh, so who, could, who can combat the uh, power of Jarasandha ultimately? Supreme Lord. He is the one who can uh, do that. Uh, of course, we see that ultimately, uh, sometimes he doesn't act directly, he does it through his devotees. <laughs> so that's also there. Uh, but nevertheless, even they get their shakti ultimately from Supreme Lord. So the, sh- the Supreme Lord becomes the ultimate doer of all of these activities. Huh? Uh, but he does so through his devotees and he gives favor and fame to his devotees by these actions. Uh, so the kings pray in this way, uh, please release us from this prison because uh, it's impossible uh, to get out. Uh, just as karma is diff- uh, impossible to uh, escape except by the mercy of the Supreme Lord. Huh? So, how do we get the mercy of the Lord? Hmm. So, uh, one has to surrender to the Lord. Huh? which is represented here by the words pranata, which means to bow down, uh, to uh, give proper respect uh, to the uh, feet of the Lord, which remove all sorrow. Again, this is a, we can say, a, uh, a negative description of the feet of the Lord. Yes, they, re- they remove sorrow. Uh, we can get out of the material world and, and get all, rid of all of our lamentation and birth and death and karma, etc., by worshiping the Lord, the feet of the Lord. 
Uh, and, of course, people who are suffering, that's what they want. So that's how they'll describe the lotus feet of the Lord, uh, the remover of all suffering. But uh, a more mature devotee will understand that uh, lotus feet of the Lord not only destroy suffering, but they also give the highest bliss. Uh, so there is an opposite, a more positive aspect of uh, the lotus feet as well. Uh, so they, yes, they do destroy karma and get rid of suffering. But uh, if one surrenders to the lotus feet of the Lord, uh, one develops prema and then rasa and then bliss. Uh, so uh, therefore here we get a little bit of a uh, lesser realization of the powers of the Supreme Lord. Power to remove suffering, and lamentation, etc. So, nothing wrong with that, because, uh, uh, true, the Lord does do that, and he, the Lord's the only one that can do that, ultimately. So, therefore, for people who are suffering, they're advised, you worship the Supreme Lord, and he will take away all that suffering. Huh? Uh, so, uh, we'll find in other places in the Bhagavatam, also, uh, such statements are made, uh, how the Lord removes suffering, the Lord removes karma, the uh, Lord frees us from the problems of the material world, etc. Uh, so those so, such statements are true. They're also, uh, we can say, partial. Uh, they don't represent everything about the Supreme Lord's nature and his powers. Uh, in fact, not the most important part also. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the people in the material world uh, are attracted to these things, so therefore uh, such descriptions are given. Uh, and, of course, the situation here of the kings is such that uh, they want release for their suffering, so they uh, pray in this way. You're the only one that can relieve us from this uh, condition of suffering in this prison uh, because Jarasandha is uh, an impossible enemy. Uh, no one can combat him. Uh, so, uh, very uh, appropriately, they pray in this way uh, for release. Uh, so surrender to the Lord, uh, of course, implies many things. Even the lotus feet imply many things. We often speak about lotus feet, lotus feet, 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 etc. <laughs> Why we are talking so obsessed with the Lord's feet, <laughs> all things. Uh, 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 because uh, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the feet, we can say, are the approach to the Lord. <laughs> and, and to go to the feet, then we have to. And get down on the ground. Hmm. Uh, so that means pranama. We're down on the ground. And that implies complete humility. We accept our position as a small servant of the Supreme Lord. Or as in uh, the Shishashtaka, uh, Lord Chaitanya says, uh, I just want to be a particle of dust at your lotus feet. So uh, we accept our very small position uh, and we accept the uh, powerful position of the Supreme, or exalted position of the Supreme Lord. And this is, of course, part of the act of surrender uh, or sharanagati or sharanapati. So as mentioned, there are six qualities such as accepting what is favorable, rejecting what is unfavorable. Uh, so one is this uh, feeling of complete um, smallness, uh, karpanya, that we are most miserable and small and insignificant in front of the Lord. Uh, so that's an important element of that surrender. Uh, 
so the uh, therefore uh, uh, that, and it's also very necessary uh, to uh, in the uh, to begin the process of uh, bhakti to have that uh, idea of being very small and insignificant and very humble. Uh, for that reason, of course, Lord Chaitanya says that uh, one should be humbler than the blade of grass, more tolerant than the tree, and then you can chant the holy name always. So it's like a, a condition for chanting the holy name, which is the most liberal of all processes. Uh, but in any case, um, uh, for the process of bhakti also, that surrender is and humility is required. Uh, and thus Jiva Goswami Bhakti Sandarbha says that this uh, surrender or sharanagati is the first anga of bhakti. Before you do the other angas, you have to surrender. <laughs> Which sounds a little impossible, how can we surrender? But at least a little bit, just as faith is a qualification. We don't have you know, 100% faith, but we have a maybe 0.0001% faith, and that's our qualification for beginning bhakti. So in the same way, we have a little bit of that sharanagati uh, or surrender in the beginning. Hmm? As bhakti progresses, that surrender, the faith, and that humility increase. Uh, they automatically must do so because the more that we appreciate and realize the Lord, then, and the more our uh, false ego, pride, karma, uh, avidya, ignorance, etc., all get destroyed, uh, then the uh, qualities of bhakti begin to manifest more and more and more and stronger and stronger. Uh, so therefore, uh, it is stated by Sanatana Goswami that uh, ultimately uh, the, uh, that humility, uh, which he calls dainya, uh, feeling very small and insignificant in front of the Lord, uh, that manifests more strongly in the very advanced devotees. And ultimately, the most, the highest devotees in the spiritual world, even that manifest in higher and higher degrees as the intensity of uh, prema increases, until we get to the gopis, who are the highest of all, and they have the most humility and smallness and whatever. They think themselves the most fallen and unqualified of all. Huh? So it's more like we say intrinsic to the whole process of bhakti and it manifests to the highest degree when we have the highest intensity of bhakti, even the highest intensity of, you know, prema, it manifests to the highest degree. Uh, so therefore, very rightly, we see that uh, it's placed at the very beginning of the whole process of bhakti. It's one of the intrinsic elements that will uh, help it develop and very necessary for it to develop. Uh, so, therefore, surrender is uh, uh, often mentioned. Uh, one should surrender to the Lord and lotus feet, etc. Uh, so, surrendering to the lotus feet or accepting the lotus feet means uh, at least a little bit of that idea of uh, uh, accepting smallness in front of the Supreme Lord. Uh, we, we can't even approach Him uh, uh, higher up. This is how we approach the feet of the Lord. But... Uh, because uh, the Lord is perfect, all of his limbs or angas are perfect. <laughs> so therefore, you can get complete satisfaction from his feet, even though they're one limb 
and consider the inferior limb, uh, the head is the top limb and the feet are the bottom limb. Uh, 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 but we know that the Lord's limbs are more or less interchangeable and can share their, the qualities of the other and they all have perfection, they all have beauty, etc. So therefore we have elaborate descriptions of the lotus feet of the Lord, how beautiful they are. Uh, uh, the soles of the feet, the toes and the toenails, etc. Everything is very beautiful about those feet. They have uh, the color is beautiful, the fragrance is beautiful, uh, wonderful, uh, strong and sweet, etc. <laughs> uh, so uh, ultimately very attractive. Uh, so they represent the Lord also uh, because they have the sweetness of the Lord. Uh, the form or beauty and the fragrance, etc. All very, very attractive and of course spiritual. Uh, so therefore, uh, surrendering to the lotus feet does not limit our bliss because it ultimately represents the whole Lord and, and it contains the, all of the wonderful qualities of the Supreme Lord. Hmm? Uh, but in any case, uh, uh, as we advance, and then of course we see the whole form of the Lord. It's not that just the feet all the time. Huh? Uh, we see the whole form of the Lord. So we find advanced devotees in the rasas, even if they're in Shanta or Dasya, they get to see whole form of the Lord uh, uh, as well. Uh, but uh, that uh, surrender is very necessary and the feeling of uh, smallness is uh, very necessary uh, all through the whole process. So therefore we find an emphasis upon surrendering to the lotus feet of the Lord. Uh, and as I said, it can give, it does give uh, that uh, freedom from lamentation, fear, karma, all that. Uh, uh, just as we find in uh, devotional service, the first character is this klesha gni. Basically, that's this, to destroy all the suffering. And so bhakti does that. And it does it. It starts the process at the very beginning of bhakti. It starts destroying all the karmas and ignorance and desires. And it goes through that process and continues all the way into uh, bhava stage, where uh, finally ahankara is destroyed. And then finally, you know, the last traces of anartas are dissipated and Bhava stage. Uh, so, uh, definitely, it is a part of uh, bhakti. But then the other part of it is subhada. <laughs> Good qualities also manifest, not just taking away all the bad things of the material world and uh, anartas, but manifestation and good qualities simultaneously takes place in the process of bhakti. So we should have a balanced view of the Lord and his powers, not just the power to destroy the bad effects on, uh, of the material world, but rather the good effects are uh, the, the qualities that manifest uh, in bhakti, and the qualities that are manifested in the Supreme Lord, because he is full of all wonderful qualities. So these will manifest also in the devotee, naturally by uh, serving the Lord, we develop similar types of qualities to the Lord. So uh, therefore all wonderful qualities manifest in the Lord as well. The Lord has many, many qualities, but of course, his ultimate essence is bliss. Uh, he is Ananda in his essence. And the Ananda is produced through rasa. Uh, so therefore, ultimately, the devotee not only destroys ignorance, but he also gets that quality of Ananda, which is the you know, chief quality of the Supreme Lord. So that develops in the devotee also through rasa again. Uh, and that's through the relationship with the Lord. Yeah. So simultaneously with the destruction of suffering is the increase of that bliss. 
It does not manifest, of course, when we're doing sadhana. It manifests first in bhava and then in prema. But even before then, it starts to give its, we can say, its uh, a shadow of its qualities. So we call that the, the happiness of bhakti manifest. That turns into ananda, bhava, and then intense ananda, sandrananda in prema. So, uh, simultaneously, we get the destruction of suffering and lamentation, and then we get the uh, a gradual increase of qualities and a bliss. Uh, so, both are there. Uh, in the spiritual world, of course, then there is no material world, there is no soka, etc. So, it's only the, the positive part which is there. Uh, as long as we're in the material world, you know, we're, uh, we're aware of this other aspect. Spiritual world, uh, they're no longer aware of karma and suffering and all that. Uh, so only the positive aspect is there in the relationship with the Lord. But when in the material world, then we do have this other aspect. So that's why it is mentioned here. Uh, so the, uh, uh, the kings, therefore, rightly uh, uh, surrender, desire to surrender to the Lord. Uh, uh, that is the only way to solve the uh, situation of the material world. Huh? Uh, so in that aspect, they are completely correct. Not only they surrender to the Lord, but they surrender to Krishna, who is Swayam Bhagavan, the ultimate form of the Lord. So uh, there's some advantage here. <laughs> uh, not only is the Supreme Lord, but the special form of the Lord, that is Krishna, who manifests extra qualities. So... Of course, this is Krishna in his Dorka form, where he's only Purna, not the Vrindavan form, where he is Purnatama. So the, the qualities manifest to a little bit lesser degree. But even in Dwarka, uh, still, these qualities manifest. Qual Krishna has special devotees and special pastimes and uh, special form, which is very sweet compared to the other forms of the Lord. So manifest to some degree also in uh, Dwarka. Uh, so, therefore, the reward for their uh, uh, surrender is that they also are going to get not only destruction of suffering, but uh, the bliss, the special bliss of a relationship with Krishna. So, uh, there, we can say great uh, coincidence or whatever, <laughs> by very good fortune, <laughs> uh, they get this opportunity to uh, interact with the Supreme Lord. Uh, and get his mercy, uh, and therefore they can uh, they get a higher type of realization than with any form of the Lord. Uh, okay, any question there? Living in peace in the spiritual world, he's not aware of the material world, the existence of a material world, and its problems. Why would he be? <laughs> He's only aware of Krishna. He hasn't got a material body. He's only dedicated to Krishna. He has prema. So therefore, his whole life centers around how to make Krishna happy. That's all. So then why would he think of anything else? Well, if we're if we're if we're mukta, we're uh, we we get uh, uh, siddha, sadhana siddhas. They were sadhana siddhas, yes. Huh? Uh, but then everything is gone. The hunkara is gone. 
avidya is gone, all attachments are gone. So then why would we think of the material world? Because we think of the material world because we're attached to something here. What if you have prema? Zero. Zero attachment. So it's not zero thought. <laughs> Yeah, because it's, it's like uh, everything increases gradually. Bhakti is obviously there in the beginning, a seed of bhakti, and it grows as the, the thing, and that turns into a flower and then a fruit. So the flower is the bhava, and the fruit is the prema. So in one sense, they look quite different, <laughs> but actually they're all part of the same plant, and one is a, a progression on the other. Uh, so in, obviously in, uh, you'll find the ananda in bhava because there's a direct perception of the Lord, direct service to the Lord, and we can see the Lord, so we develop spiritual eyes and spiritual body to some degree. And then it matures in prema when all in artists are gone and rasa manifests in this full form. And so we get sandra ananda at that stage. So then what happens before then? Is it just suddenly that happiness appears and pure bhakti or bhava appears of course that's kind of described like that when it describes bhakti that um, it manifests it simply manifests in the heart in bhava stage but obviously it started from the seed and then it manifested into the flower and then it goes into the fruit so it's the bhakti is always there in some form we may not call it bhava and then prema now, the bhava refers to the stai bhava, so one establishes one's relationship. It doesn't suddenly appear because we're cultivating it all along. And according to how we cultivate the stai bhava manifests as shanta, dasya, sakya, or madhurya bhava in the stai bhava, in the bhava stage. So it doesn't just come from no, nowhere. <laughs> it's gradually through our sadhana it manifests. So we can say it's there, that the ananda that comes from that stai bhava, it must be there in some way, but we don't, just don't call it Nanda, we don't call it Stai Bhava when it's in the beginning of stages because the bhakti is small and the anartas are a lot. <laughs> so therefore, uh, the, the, uh, Krishna doesn't manifest himself directly and uh, we could say the, the experience we get is much covered over because of our anartas and the smallness of the attraction we have. Huh? But we can see even the Sakti stage that it's described, uh, the Ocean um, Chakravar describes it. In the Sakti stage, then one gets, one doesn't see Krishna directly, but one gets a reflection of Krishna in the heart. So <laughs> it's approaching that. So Krishna is becoming a little more manifest, a little more manifest as we go on. So it's not that it's completely zero before Bhava and suddenly appears. It's like a gradual manifestation there also. as anartas go and the devotion becomes stronger than you know we're, we're our let's say our experience of Krishna is becoming more and more until it finally manifests as an actual uh, vision of Krishna and Bhava so we can say the whole we can say the, the bliss of bhakti is there it's called sukha bhakti sukha in the beginning stages uh, just to distinguish it from the ananda of Bhava and Prema If you couldn't call it Sai Baba until Baba. Yeah. So, and yet there is a Raga Sadhana that takes place before Baba. Yeah. And the Raga Sadhana is dependent. So, you mean Raganuga you're talking about? Hmm? 
Raghunuga? Yeah, it's only executed if one has some inkling of the Sai Baba, otherwise there's no meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have an attraction for a certain Sai Baba. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't call that Sai Baba because of Sai Baba, what would you call it? Uh, or we can say Sadhana for the Sai Baba. <laughs> I don't think so, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This sadhana. So we engage the senses with a particular uh, aspiration for following after a certain inhabitant of Vrindavan. Huh? So we choose that because of our attraction. I don't know what we call that, but, <laughs> but and that, that's usually due to influence of another devotee who has such an attraction also that we get influenced and we develop. So just as we worship Krishna because you get influenced by devotees who worship Krishna. Other people get the worship Vishnu and Sri Sampradaya because they get influenced by them. So, uh, what that inclination is before, I don't know if there's a particular name for it, but it's usually due to association. How is connected to mercy and the devotion here? Mercy and devotion. Because un, 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 yeah, yeah. So we, we know that uh, the Lord is not particularly attached to karma, jnana, jnana, all these different things, as he is to bhakti. Uh, so, it, it, therefore, he's not really attracted to the practice of jnana, or karma, or yoga. But actually within these, there is prescriptions for worship of the Lord. In Karma Yoga, also worship of Vishnu. Or in Jnana, if they do it properly, not, they're not my bodies. <laughs> they don't offend the Lord. And they also do worship of, little worship of Vishnu, understanding he's the giver of liberation. Or in Yoga, they would worship Paramatma without any offense. So that's their bhakti. It's not a, a large amount of bhakti because their aspiration is liberation. They respect the Lord and understand he's the giver of liberation. So they, they do that. A little bit of bhakti. So that, that is the, uh, uh, where they get the mercy from. And then the, he gives them liberation. Why would the Lord give liberation? Because it's nothing for the Lord. And even for the devotees, it's nothing. <laughs> it's insignificant. So yeah, he's given a little bit of bhakti. Give them liberation. <laughs> Just like we say, uh, Namabhas gives liberation. Huh? Shadow chanting of the name. Uh, a dim, what is it like, the, uh, before the sunrise, like that. That type of uh, influence of the holy name, even accidental chanting, can give liberation. Because it's insignificant for the Lord to do so. He doesn't care for it either. So, Ghanis, they do a little bhakti for the Lord. Paramatma yogis meditate a little on the Lord. So, okay. He gives them that. Yeah. So how to understand this? Sometimes devotees also experience suffering. Even sometimes devotees relate to them. I think I was better than before. Yeah, because it's not immediate in most cases. Huh? Uh, gradual. The whole anartanavritti takes place in a, in a scale from, you know, uh, faith we start. And the whole process starts. So it's not that suddenly we begin practicing bhakti and have sadhusanga, then all the narthas are gone. Uh, gradually. Uh, and even in bhava, little anarta is there. And in prema, zero anarta. So 
Yeah, so a, a gradual extinction of the anartas. Can you say until one reaches powers, there is this pleasure in continuity? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and even in prema, there will be klesha, but the klesha is different. Uh, it, it's not actually karma anymore, and it's not due to fault of the devotee. It is simply a shadow of karma that is, uh, we could say, uh, produced by the Supreme Lord. <laughs> so that even the prema bhaktas have a body, which is karma. And they go through incidents. They may get sick or have an accident or whatnot. So like, like a pattern of karma goes on even for the Prem Bhakta. Uh, technically, all karmas are destroyed. And, uh, you know, Yamaraj can't touch them or no, nothing can happen. But the Lord preserves a little pattern of karma even for the Prem Bhakta. Well, but we do get descriptions of the face, so many descriptions of the face, the gopis are describing his lips, his flute, his eyes, his smile, his locks of hair, his earrings, his cheeks, uh, so many you know, descriptions are there. So it's obvious that you know, uh, they're not just looking at his feet all the time, <laughs> they're also looking at his face. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm saying because that's the, the initial process of bhakti that we start with that surrender and, you know, from there that we do the processes of bhakti, etc. But when we do the, even like in archana, then we have the whole form of the Lord there and we don't just worship the feet and see the, you know, <laughs> worship all the Lord in this whole form. <laughs> Oh, well, he's, of course, Shaktivesh avatar of the Lord. He has a special position, just like the Supreme Lord. You can say in the spiritual world, he's not really aware of the material world, but he has his expansions like Karnodakshai Vishnu. They are definitely aware of the material world. <laughs> Kirodakshai Vishnu, they witness all the activities of the jiva. At the simultaneous, the Krishna is completely unaware when he's having pastimes in Vrindavan nothing to do with the material world at all. That's why we describe it in terms of his amsa's expansions, you know, doing the role, because he separates himself from the aspect. At the same time, he's one, so simultaneously he knows and he doesn't know. <laughs> we can say that devotees also can be like that in one sense, like Narada Muni knows and doesn't know, so he's in the bliss of prema at the same time then, you know, he's preaching in the material world and observes things in the material world. Bhagavate Vasudevaya Nama Om Vishnu Badaya Krishna Vistaya Buddha Shimate Bhakti Vedanta Swami Niti Namani Namaste Saraswata Deve Gauravani Prachadane Nervasesha Shunyavari Pastata Deshatarane Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadar Shivasri Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Reading from Srimad Bhavam Kano 10 Chapter 70 Verse 30 Yovai Tvayad Vinava Kritva Udata Chakra Bhagnomrade Kalubavantam Anantaviryam Bhagnomrade Kalubavantam Anantaviryam 
Translation, a wielder of the disc, your strength is unlimited, and thus 17 times you crushed Jarasandha in battle, and then absorbed in human affairs, you allowed him to defeat you once. Now he is so filled with pride that he dares to torment us, your subjects, O unconquerable one. Please rectify this situation. So, uh, here the uh, kings are expressing the uh, pastime of the Lord where he defeated Jarasandha. Uh, this was related earlier how uh, he attacked uh, the city of Mathura and uh, Krishna and Balaram defeated him many, many times. And then on the last time, uh, Krishna fled the city. <laughs> so, uh, this is considered to be a defeat. Ah, so the kings here address Krishna as Udatta Chakra, one who holds the chakra high. And he says, Ananta Viryam, uh, unlimited powers and strength and bravery. Uh, so then how is it possible that he got defeated? Uh, so... Uh, then the only explanation is that if he is supreme lord and all-powerful, it was not a really de real defeat. But the Lord did this with another purpose. Uh, so uh, he acted like a fallible human being and got defeated. The Lord cannot be defeated, but he acted like a human being. Uh, human beings, they may have many victories, but nevertheless they also have faults. And sooner or later they get defeated one way or the other. So, in this way it says he's uh, nirloka, niratam, absorbed in human affairs. Uh, uh, this means that he imitated the behavior of a human and having a fault of being defeated. Uh, so it was not an actual defeat, but uh, an apparent defeat. And the Lord had some purpose in doing so. But, Jarasandha... Uh, couldn't see that uh, because he didn't recognize that the Lord had unlimited powers and he was Supreme Lord. Hmm? So if he got defeated, fine. Then, uh, it's, it's not that he's imitating anything. It's just he's a uh, human being like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so from one point of view, uh, that is the devotee's view, it was an imitation of human power, human defeat. And uh, from the point of Jarasandha, it was just natural that he was act he was not uh, you know, imitating anything or playing a role, he was just weak, and therefore he got defeated finally as a human being. Uh, so, uh, in this way, uh, because Jarasandha thought in this way, then he said, "Oh, he's a human being. I've defeated him once. Therefore, uh, I cannot be defeated by him again." And thus, he imprisoned all these kings and tormented them. Uh, so. Uh, in order to rectify the situation, uh, somehow or other, uh, Jarasandha has to be defeated, either by the Lord himself or his empowered devotee, like that. Uh, and in this way, uh, the kings will get some relief from their distress. So the uh, uh, kings uh, recognize the position of Krishna, as a Supreme Lord, even though he plays the role of a human being. So they, they are not bewildered when he uh, gets a so-called defeat in battle. Uh, they recognize his position. Uh, 
this is the uh, nature of the devotee. Uh, they begin bhakti by having faith. That is their qualification. And with that faith, they accept the position of the Lord, that he is the supreme entity, that he, no one can conquer him. He is eternal. Uh, he, can, he has all wonderful qualities and cannot be defeated at all. Uh, so it is natural that they accept this position of being anantavirya, full of all powers. Uh, so that is, is one uh, conviction that the devotee must have in order to begin uh, the process of bhakti. And then after that, one uh, worships the Lord in different ways. Uh, but if that initial faith is not there in the position of the Lord, the process cannot begin. Uh, so, uh, that uh, it is natural that uh, uh, persons initially accept the Lord based on his power. Because he's the most powerful, therefore he is the Supreme Lord. Huh? Uh, so this is a common conception in many religions. Uh, the, the prominent feature of God is his power. He is the number one. And this is expressed also in uh, many uh, verses in the scriptures as well where they address the Lord as Ishvara he, Ishvara means the one who controls everything huh? uh, and here we have Anantavira he has unlimited powers huh? uh, similarly we'll find many other phrases to express this idea of the power of the Supreme Lord uh, greater than anyone huh? uh, but that's not the only feature of the Lord huh? so the Lord has other uh, supreme qualities also a very common one is he has all knowledge we have very limited imperfect knowledge the Lord has perfect knowledge which is complete he knows past present future etc so also a common characteristic found in uh, many religions that God is the all-knowing person huh? so uh, uh, these are common features of uh, an accepting supreme Lord uh, and because he does know everything, uh, things that happen uh, in the world, that is the events, the pastimes of the Lord, and even the events of the world, cannot be criticized. We cannot criticize the Lord for his activities, and we cannot criticize anything in the world, because the Lord knows everything. He knows the purpose behind that. Huh? Yeah. So, to accept the uh, perfect knowledge of the Lord means that we... Don't criticize him for the nature of this material world. And if we have a doubt about this, uh, why, why the Lord uh, has suffering in this material world, then we're actually, we, we don't believe in his supreme uh, power of knowledge. Uh, he doesn't know everything. <laughs> he did something imperfect so that the world came out and everybody suffers. Uh, or he's indifferent or whatever. So uh, if we accept that knowledge of the Lord, then we accept that everything is somehow perfect, even if we cannot understand it. Hmm. So the devotees are willing to accept that. Definitely, they cannot understand all the things about the Lord, his nature. Huh? Uh, and that's why in the first canto there are, I think it's uh, Bhishma says, uh, uh, we are bewildered by your activities. We don't understand why you're doing these activities as you're doing, why we have a battle of Kurukshetra, why I'm on the opposite side from the Pandavas, why the Pandavas get suffering for 13 years. We don't understand any of this. 
Yeah, we accept that the, somehow you have a plan behind this. Huh? So that's a sign in the, that they have faith in the Lord, uh, that he is all-knowing, and that his, his arrangements are perfect in some way, even though they can't understand them. With Krishna, uh, this becomes a little more complex than with uh, other forms of the Lord. And why? Because uh, Krishna has a human form and he acts more like a human than any other form of the Lord. So therefore, more bewildering in his activities. Hmm? Uh, just the, that he is a cowherd boy itself is a little bit different from the regular features of the Lord. The Lord usually comes as a kshatriya or a brahmana. As a brahmana, he shows all knowledge, and as a kshatriya, he shows all powers. So that's the feature. And as a cowherd boy, he's just playing in the fields and doesn't show those powers or knowledge or anything. So the bewildering to some people. Well, how can God be playing with the cows? <laughs> he should be sitting on his throne in Vaikuntha or in uh, you know, heaven or whatever like that. So more bewildering, simply the nature, the very nature of Krishna is, is bewildering to many people. But not only that, then he does activities that also are somewhat bewildering to people. Uh, uh, so, so Krishna may lie uh, or cheat or steal or whatever like that. And again, the, God should have all proper conduct, but he doesn't when he's Krishna. So bewildering to people. And so they'll criticize. Why does Krishna do that? Why is Krishna do that? So they don't believe in the uh, perfect nature of God or they don't accept Krishna as God. For, and that uh, simply is a, we can say, uh, a display of their lack of faith. Huh? Uh, so uh, Krishna has this name that he is actually uh, uh, Brahman uh, with Nara Akriti the form of a human being, but not only the form of a human being, but also the activities of a human being. Hmm? Rama also has human-like form, uh, and then we have so many sages like Veda Vyas and Kapila, also human-like forms. Uh, but uh, Krishna's activities are more human than Ramchandra's. Ramchandra acts as a powerful king uh, with all, showing all wonderful qualities, uh, and Krishna opposite. Uh, he shows things which are contrary to Dharma and etc. Uh, so more bewildering for people because he is acting not only as a human form, also acting like a, a human being in many ways. Huh? Uh, but this again has a purpose. And the purpose is that in acting like a human being, uh, he can establish a very intimate relationship with devotees uh, so they don't see him as God they see him as a human being and therefore the relationship can be more intense huh? so uh, there is a whole purpose behind the way he acts as a human being when he is Krishna hmm? uh, so this gives rise to the uh, special qualities of Krishna that distinguish him from all the other forms uh, he has uh, the sweetest type of beauty because he's a young uh, boy, a cowherd boy. And he has wonderful devotees in intense relationship who don't see him as God. And uh, he performs wonderful pastimes with them in which he doesn't display his features as God. Uh, uh, he is the son of Yasoda or the lover of the gopis, etc. And he doesn't display godly powers at all. Uh, so, uh, the, the uh, being playing the role of an ordinary human being uh, has this special advantage. 
in Krishna. It creates more intense bliss and rasa uh, for the devotees and for Krishna himself. Uh, so therefore that uh, acting like a human being is not a bad quality, good quality. Uh, uh, because uh, the devotees get uh, intense pleasure from it and uh, intense bliss. Uh, uh, so uh, therefore uh, the devotee with faith uh, worships Krishna in this human-like form. Uh, or the demon or the materialist or persons like Jarasandha, then they cannot understand it. So when Krishna acts like a human being, then all they do is criticize. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it confirms their belief that he's a human being. Uh, uh, he was in Vrindavan, and then he went to Mathura, and now he's in, in, uh, an imposter pretending he's a kshatri when actually he's a Vaisha. Uh, <laughs> so they think everything he does is a bad quality. That he's acting, uh, his acts as a human being are actually uh, simply displays of bad qualities. Huh? And so if he runs away from the battle or whatever, again, then bad quality. He shows his human nature. He's got a a weakness. He's a coward or whatever. So uh, in this way, uh, the demons uh, can't accept, uh, are very confused by the uh, nature of Krishna especially. Of course, even if uh, Vishnu comes, again, they will find some excuse to... uh, uh, criticize, but with Krishna, there's more opportunities for them to uh, criticize. Eh? Generally, we don't see the other forms of the Lord getting defeated. Rama does not get defeated. <laughs> Parasram does not get defeated. Uh, but Krishna runs away from battles. Oh, very strange, you know. Uh, so uh, that is why uh, uh, the the person who accepts Krishna as supreme Lord very special. They have a special type of faith, a very strong faith in the Supreme Lord. And they appreciate uh, his, his nature like this. Uh, they understand the uh, reasons why he uh, acts in a certain ways. So, uh, therefore, there's a difference in the perception of the demon and the devotee. Um, the... Uh, uh, Bhagavatam uh, is compared to Mohini avatar. Uh, and Mohini means bewildering. So Mohini took the nectar from the demons and bewildered them and gave it to the devatas. So Bhagavatam also is Mohini. It hides the sweetness of Bhagavatam from the demons and gives it to the devotees. So only those who are qualified can appreciate Bhagavatam. Only those who are qualified as devotees can appreciate Krishna and his wonderful pastimes. If they don't have that uh, devotion, then they will not appreciate Krishna's pastimes. And they'll simply criticize him for all these different activities and say, these are signs that he is imperfect. Uh, set a bad example for everyone else. So why should we worship her? So, uh, the Bhagavatam is Mohini, and we can say Krishna himself is like Mohini, bewildering. <laughs> people, some people see him one way, others see him in a different way. Uh-huh. So, the demons will see all bad qualities, and devotees will see good qualities in Krishna. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, and we can say this is also deliberate in one sense. Krishna uh, hides himself from the unqualified. Uh-huh. Therefore, we see, even in, uh, when he disappeared from the planet, mm-hmm. uh, he left a body 
and they burn the body like as if you were a human being with a normal material body, etc. How can the Lord die? How can he get shot and die? Huh? And get, even in the foot, just get shot in the foot and then he dies. Then they burn the body. So it looks, oh, he's a human being. So Krishna made a special arrangement so that those who are faithless will believe Krishna is a human being. <laughs> but the Bhagavad is very explicit and explains that uh, actually he didn't die at all because simultaneously uh, if one has spiritual eyes one could see this chariot coming down from Vaikuntha and then Krishna got on the chariot <laughs> with all of his weapons and he went up to Vaikuntha in the spiritual world. So uh, if one has proper vision, then uh, one sees that this is not the actual truth. This was a, an illusion created by Krishna, the material body and whatever, getting burning that body. An illusion, an arrangement of the Supreme Lord only. So uh, uh, in this way, the Lord hides himself uh, from the uh, devotees. Much more than other forms of the Lord. First, Ramchandra, how did he disappear? Quite differently, with no bewilderment at all. Yeah? Uh, he said everyone could see that he departed and went up to Ayodhya in the spiritual world or whatever like that. Krishna looked like he died and he burned his body, etc. <laughs> so, very special arrangement of Krishna because he's acting like a human being. Huh? So, this is uh, it's a bewildering for people who have no faith. Huh? But it is also uh, uh, not confusing for the devotee because they have faith in his, uh, his uh, particular nature as a uh, human-like nature. So the, uh, the uh, uh, kings, they appreciate this. Huh? Uh, uh, they, they say that, yes, you, you seem to have been defeated and acting like a human being here uh, once you got defeated. And therefore, Jarasandha got very proud uh, uh, of this. Uh, and that there he's imprisoned us, etc. Huh? But because it's simply illusory, it's not a real defeat, uh, the kings say, therefore you can defeat him. Uh, it's no problem. It's not that you were defeated, but uh, now you should show your powers again and reveal yourself and uh, uh, conquer over Jarasandha. Uh, so this shows their faith in uh, the nature of Krishna, that uh, this was just an appearance of a defeat, but actually uh, he has uh, unlimited powers and cannot be defeated at all. Well, then we find these later events where, uh, uh, and this arrangement, particular arrangement here, where finally he was killed, but killed by his uh, devotee, whatever, like that. So we say that's the arrangement of Krishna that he gives credit to his devotees, that even by uh, uh, his mercy, the devotee can assume powers, very, very great powers, like the Lord, to defeat this demon. But in the meantime, you know, people killing Jaras and Jaras was um, giving so much problem to the general people. But because of the one person getting so many, uh, you know, so many people are suffering, yeah. so is it not, you know, Lord, also he is present, but still he was tolerating the suffering of the general people. 
<laughs> well, again, we say this is the uh, uh, arrangement of the Supreme Lord, and he will have his purposes in doing that. Yes, they may have uh, suffered or whatever. We don't see so much what, um, descriptions of his actual uh, giving torment to the people in general or whatever like that. Uh, his more, his uh, um, bad quality was actually that he opposed the Lord more than anything else. So it's not that he was particularly simply a, a corrupt king who killed all the citizens, but rather he was uh, against Krishna. And for that reason, he imprisoned the kings who were the devotees of Krishna. Uh, for that reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in other words, they don't blame the Lord for not killing him previously. So by this we've learned the lesson of, uh, you know, that uh, this is the material world and we shouldn't be attached to our position as kings, etc. Uh, we say that's another benefit that uh, through this incident of uh, Krishna tolerating him and finally him imprisoning the kings, that the kings got realization and more appreciation for Krishna. And what about this year of seeing That's uh, that's a human like pastime. Human yeah. yeah. And then he laments and whatever, yeah, just like an ordinary human being like that. Huh? Yeah. So some people also may criticize that as being a human like uh, pastime, whatever like that, and not understand it properly, and therefore think he's a human being because he's attached. <laughs> Whereas if you're spiritual you should not be attached to anything, including your wife or whatever like that. But then he gets, uh, you know, attached after she gets, uh, Sita gets kidnapped. And then due to that, then the whole uh, conflict with Ravana took place, whatever. So uh, we can say that that also we can say is a display of human-like behavior. But what about this, those who are in Ayutta, do they know that Lord Ramana is supreme? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They worship him as the Lord. So that means they're in Dasya also? Yeah, Dasya. Often we use the word illusion to express uh, the action of Maya and Yoga Maya. How do we discriminate this uh, when we use the word? Well, Yoga Maya usually means uh, uh, in the spiritual world uh, the devotee uh, doesn't know certain things uh, in certain pastimes. Uh, uh, and then at certain times he knows things. So sometimes he gets covered over. And this is necessary also for the pastimes in the spiritual world. If everybody knew everything already, there would be no excitement to the Leela. Uh, they, uh, we already know that Krishna's going to live over down hill and uh, that you know, the rain is going to come. Uh, but apparently they don't. It's all unexpected. Uh, the rain comes and then the Krishna lives over down hill. So it's all uh, that so-called ignorance, uh, covering of their spiritual knowledge. It's not real ignorance because it's not due to karma or due to material desires, but it's an arrangement of the Lord for increasing rasa, that's all. And in the material world, ignorance is the choice of the jiva to reject the Lord, etc. So the yoga maya is a display of ignorance due to accepting the Lord. <laughs> and in the material world, opposite, not accepting the Lord, and then we have ignorance. And, and the result is suffering. <laughs> 
yes, mature world. But uh, when we explain to the common people in English, we have to use both the situation, only the word illusion, which is with much uh, misguiding. Uh, well, we don't have to explain it like that. A maya does not necessarily mean an illusion. It can mean knowledge also. Uh, mercy, knowledge, uh, so many meanings to the word. Uh, or energy of the Lord. Well, yes, I'm saying it's, it's a type of ignorance in the spiritual world that increases the bliss of the spiritual world. It doesn't create any ignorance or, or any what we call uh, suffering or, you know. A karma or anything like that. Maharaj, my apologies for my ignorance. Right through the 10th canto, we have been talking about the activities of Lord Krishna. And, and this chapter is very specifically for the activities of Krishna. So, how different is this chapter to the others? How is it different from other chapters? Well, different pastime, that's all. Uh, the whole Bhagavatam is a, a series of pastimes. Sometimes, of course, the pastime continues for several chapters, as in the case of. Uh, Rasalila or, or Govardhan or whatever. And they're not particularly in chronological order also. Sometimes they're out of order, the later pastimes particularly. Uh, so this is this one incident uh, which covers several chapters actually because it involves the, the, the final defeat of Jarasandha and whatever. When Lord comes as a human, that can work in this Well, we can say, yeah, that's the type of, uh, their, their particular uh, perception of the Lord is different which we can say is ignorance. If they knew everything, they would know all of the forms of the Lord and all the relationships of the Lord. But it's limited. They, they see a particular form of the Lord and they develop that relationship and they experience that relationship and they're exclusively attached to that. And they don't appreciate the other relationships or the other forms. So we can say that's a type of ignorance in one sense. But again, it's not material. But, but when Lord comes to the, you know, the human, they recognize other relationships also. Hmm? They recognize other relationships also, like those in uh, Madhuri also. They also recognize that Krishna has a friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Krishna has a yeah. friend and Krishna has a father, mother, yeah. everything. Yeah. But in the other relationships, uh, uh, it's limited to, we say more or less, generally, to dasya. So that's what they perceive. <laughs> Lord is supreme, we are his servants. Yeah. Yeah, but they don't aspire for that. Yeah. They're content with their just as uh, e even uh, a mother so has vatsalya, but that the gopis are not aspiring for vatsalya. They don't aspire. Yeah, and and the, and the, and the uh, elders are in vatsalya. They don't aspire for sakya or madhurya either. Well, there's always, there is a sakya within uh, Madhurya itself. In other words, there's an intimacy of friendship in Madhurya itself. But it's not, it's not that they're aspiring to just have sakya without the Madhurya aspect.
of sacrifices. Vare, best, Bhavantam, you, Vai, indeed, Sura, demigods, Adaya, other exalted personalities, the Rikshavaha, eager to see, Sameshanti, will all come, Arajanaha, kings, Cha, also, Yasasvinaha, glorious. Translation, O Lord, exalted demigods and glorious kings eager to see you will all come to that best of sacrifices. Purport. The Acharyas explain that Narada here means to say that since all the great personalities will come to see Lord Krishna, he should also come to that sacrifice. O Lord, even outcasts are purified by hearing and chanting your glories and meditating upon you, the absolute truth. What then to speak of those who see and touch you? Purport, Srila Sridhar Swami interprets the word Brahma Manyasya to mean Brahma Aguna Murte of the concentrated form of the absolute truth. Text 44, my dear Lord, you are the symbol of everything auspicious. Your transcendental name and fame is spread, uh, since we are spread, like a canopy all over the universe, including the higher, middle, and lower planetary systems. The transcendental water that washes your lotus feet is known in the higher planetary systems as the Mandakini river in the lower planetary systems as the Bhogavati and in this earthly planetary system as the Ganges. These sacred transcendental water uh, flows through the entire universe purifying wherever it goes. This translation is based on Srila Prabhupada's Krishna. Srinidhar Swami mentions that the word Digvitanam indicates that Lord Krishna's transcendental glory is spread throughout the universe like a cooling canopy over the universal directions. In other words, the whole world uh, can find shelter under the cooling shade of the Lord's lotus feet. And thus the Lord is Bhuvana Mangala, a symbol of everything auspicious for this world. <clears throat> uh, so this uh, whole section is describing uh, the sacrifice to be performed by uh, Yudhisthira Maharaj uh, and uh, the uh, called the Rajasuya in which uh, all of course kings would be there uh, showing their submission to Yudhisthira and great sages would also be there uh, so the question would be asked well why Yudhisthira has to have a sacrifice one, of course, is because he is king, so he should illustrate his ability to control all the other uh, minor kings, etc. Uh, but uh, the, the real reason is to glorify Krishna, huh? uh, because he wants Krishna's presence there, and uh, he wants to uh, use all of the wealth of the world to glorify Krishna. In other words, he wants to illustrate to everyone, including the kings and citizens, and for the people in the future, 
that the ideal leader uh, should dedicate everything to the Supreme Lord. Doesn't mean he should neglect the citizens, that's also his duty, but at the same time, he can also not neglect worship of the Supreme Lord and inspire others to do that. So as we later see in the uh, description of the Rajasuya sacrifice, ultimately uh, <laughs> Krishna was selected as the uh, person most worthy of worship. Uh, uh, and in this way, he was glorified in spite of the fact that he was taking a very humble position. Uh, so uh, uh, the whole, uh, all the activities of Yudhisthira were for glorifying Krishna. We see there's a, there was a whole um, battle of Kurukshetra to install Yudhisthira on the throne, and so many people died. So one may ask the question, well, why would a, a, a person be willing to sacrifice so many lives just to become a leader and a, a king or whatever? Huh? So, again, the uh, purpose of Yudhisthira was not simply to become a famous person or whatnot, and act like a king and show his virya, his uh, courage, etc. But actually, it was to serve Krishna. And it was the will of Krishna, so he simply acted as uh, Krishna's instrument. As Krishna says to Arjuna in the battlefield, that you are only my, you can act as my instrument if you so choose, and you can fight the battle. So similarly, uh, Yudhisthira was also the acted as the instrument of uh, Krishna. Both of them, of course, because they are Nityasiddha devotees, they not, had no doubt about this, no problem. They didn't have to choose anything because they were spontaneously dedicated to Krishna. So without saying, they would uh, perform all the activities in relation to the Lord. However, externally, in these pastimes, it will sometimes appear that uh, they're doing things which don't look like they're so dedicated to the Lord. They're involved in rituals like Rajasuya sacrifice or in battles, fighting and whatever, killing relatives, etc. So that's the external aspect of it. So like the Lord, Krishna, who appears like a human being, uh, uh, most like a human being, uh, more than the other forms of the Lord, like Ramchandra, who is also human-like. Uh, uh, Krishna performs more human-like activities, including, you know, washing everyone's feet <laughs> and uh, <laughs> getting bound up by Mother Yasoda and uh, so many other activities that make some people wonder if he's God or not. Uh, so his, his devotees also act in a similar type of way, and sometimes it's confusing uh, why they're acting in a particular way. Uh, but ultimately, uh, they, within the pastimes, they are simply trying to serve Krishna, who is acting like a human being. So they're also acting in a similar type of way, uh, uh, inspired by him and following his will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so therefore, we should not think that any of this is uh, Yudhisthira's pride or ego or something like that, or show of his uh, powers. It's not a fault at all. Hmm? Uh, whatever he does is, of course, the duty of the king, uh, and he has to set a good example for others. And as well, it's uh, meant for glorifying Krishna. Hmm? 
So this is in no way a, some sort of add-on, uh, superfluous type of idea he has. But spontaneously, it is everything he does is for the Supreme Lord. So uh, when he has a sacrifice, he's thinking always, how can I glorify Krishna more? Uh, so as a king, uh, then this is one way in which he can do it, uh, by uh, dedicating all of the wealth of his kingdom uh, to uh, Krishna. So here, uh, uh, Narada is expressing the fact that uh, Krishna must attend this sacrifice because that's the whole intention of Yudhisthira. His intention is not to simply control kings and become powerful, but he wants to show Krishna as the uh, person most worthy of worship. Uh, <clears throat> so that is what is expressed here, uh, that... Uh, Actually, the whole idea is that because so many people will come there, exalted personalities and demigods and kings, etc., uh, they're actually coming to see Krishna. <laughs> so Krishna has to go there also uh, in order to satisfy everybody. Uh, so this uh, also illustrates the relationship between Krishna and his devotees. Yudhisthira on the one hand wants to glorify Krishna in this particular way. Uh, that's his service. And uh, Krishna agrees to this. He, uh, he's eager to respond to his devotees in all ways. Uh, of course, on a part, Krishna's part, does he need glorification or does he crave glorification? No. Hmm? Uh, he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need people glorifying him all times. He doesn't demand that everybody do kirtan and recite nice verses to him and uh, say how powerful he is. Uh, he doesn't need that at all. But uh, when it is expressed with devotion, then he is attracted to those persons because uh, uh, he, he likes the devotion. He likes the, the show of affection. That is what he is interested in. Hmm? Just as uh, uh, Krishna says, offer me a leaf or fruit or flower. But he's not interested in a leaf or fruit or flower, which is material. Because he owns everything. And in the spiritual world, everything is spiritual, not material. And it's not subject to deterioration or rotting or imperfections or spots or whatever we may find on the fruits and the flowers here. Uh, so what interest does he have in those things? So obviously nothing. But as the verse says, uh, it has to be done with Bhakti, filled with bhakti, filled with devotion. And then the Lord accepts it. So the, the, the things we offer in this world are just mediums to express our devotion. And the Lord is attracted to that devotion. In fact, this is the ultimate quality of bhakti explained in the first part of nectar devotion. The sixth quality is Krishna Karshini. Uh, uh, devotion, bhakti attracts Krishna. He is not attracted to karma or jnana or yoga. Uh, but he is attracted to bhakti. Uh, and particularly bhakti in its highest form, prema. He is so attracted that he falls under control of the devotees in uh, prema. Uh, and he's willing to do anything for them. Hmm? Uh, so, of course, these uh, devotees like uh, Yudhisthira and Arjuna, they have that prema, so automatically 
uh, Krishna comes under their controls. And there's so many verses to say how the Pandavas were very intimately related with the Lord so that he would go to their house and stay there and he would act as their guard at night in the, during the war like this. And, you know, and of course, he was the chariot driver of Arjuna uh, and he's willing to do many things for the Pandavas acting as their servant, including in the Rajasuya sacrifice. So, uh, therefore, he is controlled by his devotees and is illustrated uh, so nicely by his... Uh, uh, activities in relation to the Pandavas. Uh, and, of course, the other aspect of it, not only uh, he is uh, fulfilling or subject to their will and controlled by them, but uh, he also wants to glorify them. So he wants to glorify the Pandavas. So he wants to make them the leaders of the world. Uh, that is to glorify his devotee, to show that, to show that uh, bhakti uh, prevails over a dharma in all cases. And that if one is dedicated to the Lord, then one is victorious. As is stated at the end of Bhagavad Gita, where there's Krishna and Arjuna, there's victory. Hmm. So, of course, some people don't think like that. They think, oh, you worship Krishna and he'll take everything away from you. And you become a loser. <laughs> But not the opposite. <laughs> you actually become the winner. You become the, the victorious person, as in the case of Arjuna and Yudhisthira here. So uh, Krishna likes to glorify his devotees in many, many ways, uh, do many things for them. Uh, so uh, the devotees, on the other hand, are not interested in that glorification either. They, they just want to serve the Lord. Uh, uh, but sometimes they do have to accept things that the Lord gives, as uh, Druva had to accept a kingdom uh, uh, greater than his father's, then he had to go to Druva Loka, etc. Because it was offered by Krishna, so the uh, devotee also has to accept things that the Lord gives. Uh, so, and there is a mutual relationship between the devotee and the Supreme Lord, uh, which is uh, a relationship of a great attachment, affection, devotion. And to some extent it is also inconceivable or inexplicable for us. We can't rationalize everything that they do uh, uh, because it is highest levels of bhakti, that is prema, which is beyond rules and regulations. <laughs> so therefore their actions are sometimes inexplicable. Krishna may do inexplicable things for his devotees. Uh, he may not act according to Dharma. He may do opposite things. Huh? Uh, and even the devotees may do opposite things uh, uh, for Krishna. As we see with the gopis running away from their houses and <laughs> going to Krishna in the middle of the night. <laughs> so it, it's, it's not uh, rational from the uh, you know, material point of view. But from the point of view of prema, uh, that is not a question at all. They're, they're, they're beyond that rationality completely. And there's a different type of, we can say, rationality there in the spiritual world, all based upon this attraction between Krishna and his devotee. Uh, so what may appear irrational to us is actually not irrational uh, in a spiritual relationship. Uh, so, uh, in any case, here we find that Yudhisthira's <coughs> spontaneously desiring to uh, glorify uh, Krishna. 
Now, this is not the only way it can be done. And we see in Vrindavan, they don't do such things. They don't have Rajasuya sacrifices and things like that. Uh, but this is natural for Yudhisthira because he is leader. He is Kshatriya. He is king. Within the pastimes, he's acting like a king. And he plays that role. And he has to fulfill that role. It's also pleasing to Krishna. It also fulfills Krishna's desire that... Um, uh, you know, he should come and destroy a dharma and establish dharma again in all its forms. So one form, of course, is uh, you know, put the proper kings in place. Uh, uh, the lines from Vaivasata Manu should be established properly. Uh, uh, the proper person, uh, not, not the demon. Uh, and, of course, that's one aspect of dharma. Let's say establish Varnashram system in its proper form with a proper king. But the, then there's the Paro Dharma, highest Dharma, which is Bhakti. And the Pandavas are ideal examples of that. Yudhisthira is an ideal example of that. Uh, they're great devotees of the Lord. Hmm. So therefore they act as great devotees as well. They set an example for everyone else. Uh, so they do their duties as king and at the same time they, they display their uh, devotion. Uh, in such a way that uh, it, it manifests their uh, great attraction to Krishna and sets in a, uh, becomes an inspiration for uh, other people seeing that. So all the other, it says, says in the uh, first 42 that the demigods and the glorious kings, they want to come there. Uh, it's not just to see a sacrifice, which, of course, devatas should come to sacrifices because they're called there. But it's actually to see Krishna. <laughs> they also want to see Krishna. <laughs> so though, generally, we think of sacrifices as karma kanda, uh, with glorification of devatas and worship of devatas, as we also know in all sacrifices, Vishnu has to be glorified. Supreme Lord has to be glorified also. Uh, and it's also pointed out by our acharyas that if they do these sacrifices and they offend Vishnu, no result. They cannot go to Svargaloka or anywhere, you know, those sacrifices, if they neglect the Lord. So they have to also worship some degree. Huh? Of course, Krishna Bhagavad Gita also says, you know, uh, sacrifice is Vishnu. <laughs> so it may be a little bit indirect in Karmakanda, but nevertheless, even there, they have to recognize the supremacy of uh, Vishnu. Uh, uh, so uh, Vishnu is, uh, I could say, necessarily present in all the sacrifices. Hmm? Another way of looking at it is to say that ultimately everything that David does give by getting worship in the sacrifice is given by the Supreme Lord. Uh, he empowers the Davidas to give their results. So if you offend Vishnu, he won't give the result, he won't empower the devatas, and the devatas can't give anything. <laughs> they can't act independently, as this Brahma cannot act independently. He's given the knowledge to create the universe from Krishna. If he doesn't worship Krishna, he doesn't get the knowledge, he cannot create the 14 worlds or anything, or the bodies for the living entities. So, uh, therefore, Vishnu is present even in the sacrifices, the Karmakanda sacrifices and these Rajasuya and everything. This is, this is necessarily is there. However, uh, in this case, 
uh, and the whole sacrifice also is transformed because it's done by a devotee of the Lord, a great devotee of the Lord, Yudhisthira. Uh, so and Yudhisthira is not just out of duty doing it with Vishnu also being worshipped. <laughs> but his idea is to magnify the position of Krishna as the object of worship, not just Vishnu, but Krishna. Even higher than Vishnu is the form of Krishna. Hmm? Which some people won't accept. Demons won't accept that. Huh? Uh, in fact, that's what Shishupala was arguing. Yeah, he doesn't even serve to Krishna. How can we worship him? He's not even a Kshatriya. He's just a cowherd. He's a Vaisha. He's a cheater. This, he doesn't even accept him as a human being, really, you know? <laughs> but actually, he's Supreme Lord. Huh? Highest person. Highest form of the Supreme Lord. Higher than Vishnu, even. Huh? Uh, uh, so that is also uh, Yudhisthira's intention to show that Krishna is the highest form, higher than even Vishnu. Hmm? So then the, the sacrifice becomes transformed from just a regular sacrifice with Vishnu giving permission to the devatas to do whatever they bestow on people, etc. Uh, it becomes a real glorification of Krishna as the ultimate form of the Supreme Lord. Huh? So this also fulfills the purpose of Bhagavatam. All purpose of Bhagavatam also is to show that ultimately everyone should worship Krishna. He's the ultimate form. Krishna is to Bhagavan Swayam. Of all the different forms, Krishna is the ultimate form. So everyone should worship him. So Yudhisthira is also illustrating that principle. So Acharyas explained that, 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 that one statement, Krishna is to Bhagavan Swayam, is actually the theme of the Bhagavatam. And every other statement and every other incident should be, we say, interpreted in relation to that. Even they may look independent. If we have, you know, a story of Matsya or Kurum or Varaha, how does that relate to Krishna? Uh, no, we have to relate it to Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam somehow or other. Uh, so similarly, all the activities of the, all the devotees again are uh, there illustrating this, how Krishna is the ultimate form of the Supreme Lord. Interesting, however, is that as Krishna is supreme, uh, he is supreme in power. So, therefore, he illustrates more powers than even the Vishnu forms. Uh, and, of course, that's illustrated by how Krishna does certain things like uh, bewilder Brahma and then manifests all the universes with all the Vishnus through the cowherd boys, etc. And it makes them all disappear, and only Krishna is left. Or uh, the fact that uh, uh, he killed so many demons in, in different ways, like Puta. So, so yeah, that's great, great power. Uh, as illustrated. But then even more than that is the sweet beauty and sweet pastimes, and sweet devotees of Krishna. A very, very special. Uh, uh, so that's uh, even a more unique feature, not just the power, but the sweetness is the unique factor which makes Krishna outstanding. And uh, that again is illustrated, uh, of course, not to the extent as it is in Vrindavan, but here also with the relationship with the Pandavas and Yudhisthira. A very, very uh, sweet relationship is their intimate relationship where Krishna acts on their behalf. He becomes their servant, etc. Uh, so he acts in a very, very intimate way that even Vishnu does not do. 
uh, and he, uh, we see that in relation to Yudhisthira and the Rajasuya sacrifice, etc. So in other words, he, uh, uh, through this whole incident, the Rajasuya we get, again, the sweet qualities of Krishna manifesting. So, uh, therefore, uh, the, the whole sacrifice has a purpose of glorifying the uh, ultimate form of the Supreme Lord, Krishna. <coughs> Well, it's not that he wants to control the Lord, and he doesn't think like that, but the Lord does it anyway. <laughs> the Lord does it huh? because of his attraction to the devotee. Hmm? So, in the case of, it happens even in the case of Vishnu forms, like with the Ambarish story, then the Lord said, actually, you know, I'm under the control of my devotee also. So, even there, yes, uh, everyone recognizes and Ambarish recognizes Vishnu is supreme, but still... They also under appreciate the fact that the Lord, in spite of his position, out of great affection, uh, he does things for his devotee. If he were not to do anything for his devotee, then he would be called indifferent. That would be a fault. So they appreciate that he has such great affection. But with Krishna, it takes more uh, extreme forms, or he does more elaborate things. Uh, uh, in the case of Ambarish, then, okay, Vishnu gives his chakra to uh, Ambarish and says it's under his control. <laughs> that, that, that's the extent of his surrendering to his devotee. But in the case of Krishna, we find more extraordinary forms of how he's uh, the charioteer driver or whatever like that. For and then in Vrindavan, we get more extreme forms where he gets tied up by Mother Yasoda or whatever. So according to the level of the devotee, he may show that character of Bhaktavatsala and be under the devotee's control to different degrees. What's that? That verse in Savai Mana Krishna Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Krishna No, well, in, in the sense that uh, when finally, uh, what is it, Durasa went to Vaikuntha and then there's Vishnu there. And then Vishnu says, I, my chakra. Uh, but I think the explanation that Krishna explained there, maybe it is uh, in relation to uh, referring to uh, past, past events about Krishna also in previous cycles of time or something like that. Yeah. Well, uh, Krishna also has four arms, and in there he also has his chakra. As with with Dantavakra and all that, then he Dantavakra and uh, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Pondraka. Uh, 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 Pondraka was had an imitation thing. So Krishna can also show his chakra. Also, he also has as in Dorka, he also has four arms sometimes, and he holds the chakra as well. What I meant was like. 
Krishna can change his form to Vishnu also, but Vishnu cannot change into Krishna. Yeah, so yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> With what? With what you just said. That. Can I, can I, can I, am I allowed to respectfully disagree with the temple? <laughs> 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 or, or does that mean that I, I don't get invited back? <laughs> I'm just thinking about the Brihad Bhagavatamrita. Mm. When Gopakumar goes to Vaikuntha, mm. he sees Vishnu taking the form of Krishna. Ah, okay, he does, yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah, yeah. He does see that. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Did, I, did I just have to invite myself? <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but 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 Gopal Kumar was not satisfied with that. Also, it, yeah, it was like a. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. So it does not Okay, But they're like temporary. <laughs> Tempor- uh, it was like a. It looks like a temporary manifestation, which he wouldn't maintain. He would just show it, but like that, and then it would disappear. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. So explain that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. probably, Actually, all the forms are one. Actually, so everything is in everybody, but they generally don't manifest the other aspects. <laughs> So what we can learn from here is Krishna also like to serve the devotees, something like that. Oh yeah, yeah the, even the Supreme Lord, he's the greatest, but he's also the humblest. <laughs> or even the great devotees, the greatest devotees are the humblest devotees. So that's ex- expressed by Sanatana Goswami also in Briyad Bhagavatam, the gopis are the greatest devotees, but they also serve the most low, they think themselves the lowest of all, the dainya is expressed by them as the, the highest degree. Huh? So what to speak of Krishna? <laughs> he's, he's Krishna, but then he also, you know, he, he has no uh, ego or you know, pride to show off his powers or anything like that. Yeah, Oh, yeah, this is what we call the, 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 the play on words so that our charas will take all the criticisms of the demons in such a way because they don't like to hear criticism that <laughs> it becomes a good quality <laughs> and they give a different interpretation to the whole verse. So they say that the verses are constructed in such a way that the devotees can hear something nice about the Lord and the demons will hear all the bad things about the Lord. <laughs> so yeah. Maybe we can call that parokshavad or indirect expression where the indirect expression is the glorification and the superficial meaning is the criticism. So... And that's because the devotees don't like to hear the criticism, so therefore the Bhagavad is written in such a way we can take another meaning. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, we devotees, after this, you know, like, when we criticize us, think it's positive. Most of the problems will be gone. Well, of course, Lord Chaitanya says at the beginning that the qualification for chanting the holy name is, you know, to be humbler than a blade of grass, more taller than a tree, not expect honor, and give respect to all others. So he says, if you remember that when you're chanting, then you can chant nicely continuously and get success out of that chanting. So actually that humility is essential to any performance of bhakti all the way through. 
from the lowest to the highest, but it becomes more and more manifest as one progresses. It's not that we're directed to criticize other devotees, but just that uh, the devotees take that criticism as, uh, as an opportunity to be more humble. Uh, they, uh, they, 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 they pray to be humble, so that's this one circumstance that makes them humbler. <laughs> Namaste Sarasata Devi 
Gauravani Pacharane, Nirvashashanivari Pashtatishatarane, Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nichananda, Sri Advaita Gadadhasha, Sri Gorbakta Vrinda, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Reading from Srimad Bhavan Canto 10, Chapter 70, Verse 45. Sri Sukha Uvacha. Sukadev Goswami said, Tatra, there, Teshu, they, Atma, his own, Bakshesu, supporters, Agranatsu, not agreeing, Vijigishaya, because of their desire to conquer, Vacha, speech, Peshai, with charming usage, smayan, smiling, brutjam, to his servant, Uddhavam, Sri Uddhava, Praha, spoke, Keshava, Lord Krishna. Translation, Sukadeva Goswami said, when his supporters, the Yadavas, objected to this proposal, out of eagerness to defeat Jarasandha, Lord Keshava turned to his servant Uddhava and smiling addressed him with fine words. Purport, Srila Prabhupada explains, just before the great sage Narada arrived in the Sudharma assembly of Dwarka, Lord Krishna and his ministers and secretaries had been considering how to attack the kingdom of Jarasandha. Because they were seriously considering this subject, Narada's proposal that Lord Krishna go to Hastinapore for Maharaj Yudhisthira's great Rajasuya sacrifice did not much appeal to them. 
Lord Krishna could understand the intentions of his associates because he is the ruler of even Lord Brahma. Therefore, in order to pacify them, he smilingly spoke to Uddhava. Srila Vishnu Chakravarti points out that the Lord smiled because he was about to demonstrate Uddhava's brilliant ability to give counsel in difficult situations. Translation, the personality of Godhead said, You're indeed our best eye and closest friend, for you know perfectly the relative value of various kinds of counsel. Therefore, please tell us what should be done in this situation. We trust your judgment and shall do as you say. Uh, Sukadeva Goswami continued thus requested by his master, who, though omniscient, acted as if perplexed. Uddhava took this order upon his head and replied as follows. Thus end the purports of the humble servants of his divine grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, to the 10th Kandu, 70th chapter of Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled, Lord Krishna's Daily Activities. Uh, so here we have um, the end of the proposal of Narada, that uh, Rajasuya sacrifice be held by Yudhisthira and Krishna attend. And here we have the uh, Yadus in Dwarka protesting that they should kill Jarasandha instead. So that's the uh, basic uh, controversy, uh, whether to go to the Rajasuya sacrifice or kill Jarasandha. So uh, here we find that uh, the Supreme Lord uh, goes, uh, he uh, asks Uddhava what to do. Uh, so Uddhava has a very important role to play in Dwarka. Uh, he's quite prominent. Uh, and even before Dwarka, he was prominent. In Mathura, he was also prominent. And that is shown by the fact that Krishna sent him uh, to deliver a message to the gopis. Uh, uh, to tell tell them uh, that he was uh, coming back later. Uh, so, uh, in relation to that, there's often a whole description of uh, Uddhava's qualification. And he was most dear to Krishna, and Krishna himself says, you are myself, etc., in many places. And uh, he was very intelligent. He was also... Uh, learned. He was the disciple of Brihaspati, who was the uh, priest of the Devatas and considered very learned. And uh, he was the, uh, an intimate minister of Krishna in Mathura and in Dwarka, uh, which meant that uh, he could give advice uh, in all sorts of situations. Uh, so, he was particularly good at um, solving problems that looked very difficult to solve. Uh, and therefore, he was entrusted with a lot of work by Krishna. Additionally, he was so close to Krishna that he almost looked like Krishna. So when he came to uh, Vrindavan, the gopis thought it was Krishna. Uh, because he was wearing Krishna's lotus garland, and they thought, oh, Krishna has come back. Uh, so he was very, he was a cousin, actually. Uh, so he looked very similar to Krishna. 
And he understood the mood of Vrindavan. So that is why uh, Krishna sent him back there. <coughs> he understood that um, Uddhava uh, could appreciate the uh, love that the people of Vrindavan had for him. So he entrusted him with uh, this very intimate service of uh, going and delivering a message to the gopis and consoling Yasoda and Nanda. Later we find also that um, in the uh, uh, Gopal Champu that he also brings Uddhava back to Vrindavan with him when he returns on uh, several occasions. And Uddhava is allowed to go to Vrindavan and also be in Dwarka, just like Krishna goes to Vrindavan from Dwarka. So Uddhava also has that same ability uh, because of his appreciation of the people of Vrindavan. And uh, when in Dwarka also, uh, he is able to explain to everyone how uh, Krishna is separated from the people of Vrindavan and how the people there suffer uh, and how Krishna suffers because of that. Uh, so you can understand uh, Krishna's uh, separation while he's in Dwarka. Uh, and you can explain that to other people. So, in other words, uh, Uddhava understood Krishna's mentality very well, not only in terms of uh, political situation in Dwarka, etc., but also in terms of rasa and Krishna's uh, separation from the people of Vrindavan and particularly the gopis. So he could even appreciate the Madhurya rasa of Krishna, even though he was actually in Dasya rasa. So, therefore, uh, Krishna entrusted him with a lot of uh, his work. Uh, so here we see one example of that. Uh, there is a problem of or disagreement, we say, because Narada is saying, going to the, go, go to the Rajasuya sacrifice, and uh, the Yadus are saying, no, you have to kill Jarasandha. Uh, so uh, what, what should be done? So then uh, Krishna calls upon Uddhava to uh, give a solution to the problem. Uh, because one, he's a friend, and two, he is, he knows a lot, so he can uh, give good advice. Uh, so uh, he has very great faith in Uddhava. Uh, now, of course, Krishna is the most intelligent, and it is Krishna who gives intelligence to everybody else. So why can't Krishna just solve the problem himself? That's true. He can do that. But as we see, uh, he could also kill all the people in the battle of Kurukshetra. But he has the Pandavas do it and Arjuna do it, etc. So he likes to engage his devotees in different services. Uh, so this creates pastimes. Because the Lord is completely independent, he doesn't need any pastimes. Everything's already solved. He's completely blissful. <laughs> but uh, he expands that bliss through pastimes with devotees. And that gives him greater bliss. Uh, now to do that, then uh, he also has to appear to be ignorant. Uh, so here he cannot solve the problem. So he asks Uddhava what to do. Uh, as if he were ignorant, even though he is knowledgeable of everything. Uh, 
But the Lord is saying, oh, you are the knower of all truth and you're the best minister, etc. So you can give me good advice. Yeah. So uh, there is an appearance of uh, ignorance on the part of Krishna, who is the Supreme Lord. Yeah. So this again is an aspect of pastimes. We can say maybe he's pretending like this to glorify Uddhava. On the other hand, within the pastimes itself, uh, there is yoga maya operates in such a way that even Krishna becomes ignorant. Huh? So that sounds strange, but nevertheless, uh, uh, we see examples of that, that Krishna somehow becomes overcome by the situation. Uh, and this is a, the, the yoga maya shakti working uh, to hide things even from Krishna. Huh? So uh, we see that uh, examples of that, uh, how uh, for instance, when the uh, Agasura appeared and opened his mouth in Vrindavan, then all the cowherd boys were saying, Oh, this looks like a, a big cave. Let's go into the cave. Huh? And they all began running into the cave with the calves. And Krishna was astonished and, and he wanted to call, Come back, come back. But they were already running into the mouth of the, uh, the Agasura demon. And, and he was like helpless. He couldn't do anything. <laughs> so then he was thinking, oh, this is very strange. And then he realized, oh, the Leela Shakti is working like this. <laughs> so even I cannot stop these people. Huh? I cannot tell them anything, huh? even though cowherd boys listen to Krishna, etc. But in this case, suddenly he realized, oh, uh, Leela Shakti is doing this. So <laughs> they run into the mouth and I can't control them. So in this way, uh, the Leela Shakti and other Yoga Maya Shakti and other Shaktis work uh, not just on the order of Krishna consciously saying, oh, the Shakti do this, do that, do that, but rather spontaneously do all these things. Hmm? And even Krishna gets surprised by what's happening. Hmm? Even though he is all knowledgeable, knows everything, etc., he gets surprised by how his Shaktis are doing things and arranging things. Hmm? So therefore, it's not just that um, Krishna pretends to be ignorant or Krishna pretends this or that, whatever. Uh, he becomes part of those pastimes and becomes subject to the same shaktis. Ultimately, of course, uh, the shaktis are under his control and they're always acting simply to increase the uh, bliss of the pastimes. That's their whole purpose. So in, in no way is there some mistake uh, in the arrangement of the Shaktis or an arrangement of uh, Krishna doing something. It all works out so that more bliss is created. So therefore, there is ignorance in the spiritual world and there's ignorance in the material world. But it is very different. The ignorance of the material world is ignorance of Krishna and ignorance of our own identity as Jiva and our position relationship with the Lord. And that gives rise to uh, material bodies, karma, suffering, etc. So that ignorance is condemned in scriptures. Ignorance in the spiritual world is the opposite. It does not cause bondage. Uh, it produces more service to Krishna on part of the devotees. It produces more bliss in pastimes for the devotees and the Supreme Lord.
So in other words, um, that ignorance in the spiritual world is simply a servant of Krishna and, and operates to increase the bliss of the spiritual world and never creates an ignorance which will make us uh, lose uh, consciousness of our identity as the servant of Krishna. Rather, does the opposite. It increases our uh, realization of uh, our servitude to the Supreme Lord. Uh, so therefore, uh, such things exist in the material world, in the spiritual world, but they are quite different. And the same we can say about rasa. Material world is full of rasa, uh, but it is a cause of karma, cause of suffering. Spiritual world, rasa is the cause of bliss. <laughs> so, we got everything in the material world, everything in the spiritual world. Some people say, well, how can envy exist in the spiritual world? But yes, we do have envy there also. Masarya, uh, the gopis are envious of each other. Uh, Chandravali and Radharani are envious of each other sometimes. So this is a type of envy. Well, that is simply a byproduct of their love of Madhurya Stai Baba. And it adds to the bliss of the pastimes. That's all. Uh, so it's not like the envy of the material world, which is a product of our ignorance and creates uh, sinful activities and karma and suffering. So, uh, therefore, the uh, spiritual world is full of varieties of things. And this may be bewildering for some people. Because how can be like that in the spiritual world? How they can have ignorance? How they can have attachments? Uh, how they can? How Krishna can steal? Whatever like this, but, huh? but quite different from uh, what happens in the material world. Uh, it's all based upon attraction to the Supreme Lord and service to the Supreme Lord. Uh, so therefore, instead of being uh, bad activities and bad qualities. Everything becomes good qualities and good activities in service to Krishna. Uh, so here Krishna acts as if ignorant. And uh, this gives an opportunity for Uddhava to uh, show his intelligence in the situation and satisfy all parties. Uh, on the one side we have the Yadus. Uh, uh, who are acting on behalf of Krishna? They don't. They're they're trying to serve Krishna, so they think that we have to kill uh, Jarasandha, who was the big enemy at the time. So they're acting on behalf of the Lord. And here we have Narada Muni uh, representing Yudhisthira Maharaj and uh, encourage, uh, encouraging Krishna to attend the Rajasuya sacrifice. <coughs> so. That also, uh, the motivation of Yudhisthira is to glorify Krishna. He's only serving Krishna. But it looks quite different. One is an attempt to kill the enemy. The other has nothing to do with killing the enemy at all. It's just a glorification of Krishna. So, then Krishna has to choose. It looks like one or the other. Which, which one should I do? Kill Jarasandha or go to the Rajasuya sacrifice? Uh, and if he goes to the Rajasuya sacrifice, fine. But then Jarasandha is still at large. And he's a danger. If he goes to the, uh, kills Jarasandha, then 
Yudhisthira will be disappointed. <laughs> he disappoints his devotee. <laughs> so either way, Samas is satisfied. The Yadus are dissatisfied if he doesn't kill Jarasandha, and Yudhisthira is dissatisfied if he doesn't go to the Rajasuya sacrifice. His effort will be useless because he wants Krishna there to point him out as Swayam Bhagavan. So this is, we could say, a perplexity not only in the political situation, but also uh, which devotee to please first. Can <laughs> 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 I have to do this for them or I have to do this for Yudhisthira? So uh, such are the situations that will arise in the spiritual world also because there's so many different devotees and which activity to do first. So it looks a little perplexing. So it requires some good intelligence to solve the situation. So, uh, Uddhava can do this, uh, solve the problem, uh, not only by a suggestion, but the way he speaks. He speaks in a very uh, pleasing manner. He's a very good speaker. He can use words nicely and convince people nicely. Uh, so his idea is one thing, and how he presents it is another thing, which is very convincing. So that combination satisfies everybody. Uh, uh, he speaks in such a way that everyone feels that their desires will be fulfilled. So the Yadus will have their desires fulfilled, and Yudhisthira will have his desires fulfilled. Uh, of course, it means that he will have to choose one or the other activity first. Nevertheless, uh, still, uh, ultimately, both will be satisfying. And so, uh, therefore, this is the uh, situation that uh, Uddhava must solve. And uh, Krishna has given him the task in order to illustrate uh, the uh, qualities of Uddhava, his great wisdom and his understanding of the whole situation. At the same time, his great understanding of prema and uh, how uh, the Yaru should be satisfied and how Yudhisthira should be satisfied. Uh, additionally, it also uh, is an opportunity uh, uh, for Krishna to glorify Uddhava, uh, to show his uh, great intimacy with Uddhava that he will give him the chance to solve the problem uh, uh, and uh, in this way uh, he becomes the instrument of uh, fulfilling Krishna's will uh, just as in the Bhagavad Gita uh, Arjuna becomes the instrument of fulfilling the will of Krishna so here um, by agreeing to uh, give his advice then he becomes the instrument of uh, Krishna giving good advice to everyone and uh, solving the problem. in the spiritual world uh, the spontaneously the shaktis work for instance uh, another example is when uh, uh, Krishna swallowed the dirt and the cowherd boys complained to Madhya Soda and then she went to Krishna and started chastising him and then she told him to open his mouth because she didn't believe him 
So then Krishna opened his mouth. But he didn't have to do anything. His Aishwarya Shakti manifested the universe within him without even Krishna doing anything. <laughs> so spontaneously the Shakti says, do this. Ultimately we say that's under Krishna's control, yes, but they act in such a way that it's so spontaneous that Krishna doesn't even have to think about it. Uh, so they, they're very eager to serve the Lord. The Shaktis are eager to serve the Lord for his pastimes. So they, they start doing all these different arrangements automatically. Yeah, in order that Krishna go in the mouth, kill Agasura, <laughs> and liberate him. Uh, and then this led to the pastime of Brahma coming down. Uh, so in other words, it was a whole arrangement mm, to produce the, not only uh, liberate Agasura, which was also very astonishing for everybody, but also to uh, carry on to the next pastime of Brahma's bewilderment, etc. So the arrangement of the Lila Shakti is for that purpose. He does that in many uh, places. He takes advice from his devotees or whatever like that, uh, asks them what to do, whatever. Uh, not, this is not the only case, but in many cases he'll do that. Well, obviously, Krishna knows everything, but he's acting in this way. It's part of the pastime and uh, glorifying the devotees, etc. Like giving service to the devotees, but he wants yeah. to hear what the devotees has in his heart. Yeah, and it's also, let's say, it's, it's like a, a, an exchange in itself, a pastime. Huh? If, if, since Krishna knows everything and he can do everything, why does he need the devotees at all? <laughs> <laughs> he can internally just have his own pastimes and, okay, forget about you. Huh? And I'll be standing there doing nothing. But he's <laughs> aware and he knows everything. He know, in one hand he does, in one hand he doesn't. So he's not just imitating, oh, I know everything, but I'm just going to give him a chance to display power and I'll look back and see, okay, uh, uh, in one sense, no, he does forget. And like when he's, uh, when he's uh, uh, chased by Mother Yasoda and then she catches him and then he has tears in his eyes. Are they fake tears? Because Krishna is the controller of everybody and nobody can punish Krishna and he feels no pain at all. So why is he crying? Are they fake tears? No, actual tears. He's also afraid, like that, in one sense. But it's, it's, not, it's not material. It's in terms of rasa. So in rasa we have these different things like fear and anger and so many different things. But that's within the spiritual rasa and it's not under illusion. Yeah, yeah. And that's why, particularly with Krishna, difficult to understand him. Uh, and people mistake and they'll criticize. Oh, uh, uh, why is Krishna doing that? Why is he doing this? Uh, he's like a material person. Uh, how can anyone tie up the Supreme Lord? Maharaj, in the 7th chapter, Krishna is saying the Hicha Dvesha Samudhya. He says, Dvesha is one reason why we are in the material world. Yeah. And then now there is Dvesha also in the spiritual world. Although the objective probably is different. 
Yeah, the itch and dvesh of the material world arise from ignorance. Huh? Uh, we have ignorance of the Supreme Lord, and we think of ourselves as independent, and then we want, we desire different things in the material world, and when we get obstructed, then we have the dvesha, so we get itch and dvesha in that way. Huh? Uh, in the spiritual world, obviously, there must be desire. Uh, Krishna has desire, and the jivas there have a desire also. Hmm? But their desire is to please the Lord. That's their primary desire, please the Lord. So desire is there automatically. And then the, 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 the opposite comes about when there's an obstruction to that desire. <laughs> so that is why uh, the gopis compete with each other and one obstructs the other. So then they have that dvesha operating there. But that is in terms of rasa. Uh, is there is there secondary temporary manifestations uh, which give a little taste to the primary rasa of the devotee? Maharaj, um, also uh, in devotees there is this um, idea that das das anadas that we are servant of the servant of the servant. But mm -hmm. here we see that there is a uh, yadavas want something and. Pandavas are wanting something and then we have those kings yeah. arrested. So they're all devotees, but the consideration is in terms of Yadavas, the consideration is not okay. Uh, Pandavas are more exalted than devotees. So, you know, their request has come. So why don't we put with that first? Mm. Well, it's all, of course, service to the Lord. It's just a matter of which service Krishna should do first, that's all. <laughs> so that's where the, the conflict comes, who, who, who to serve first, which is perplexing for Krishna also. Who should I satisfy first? Both are bona fide uh, things. Yadus are not thinking of themselves. They're thinking of Krishna himself, that uh, you know, he, uh, he should uh, kill Jarasandha because it's a danger to him also. So... Uh, therefore, it's just a matter of which devotee to satisfy first. And uh, in spiritual pastimes, that becomes a little perplexing, who, who to satisfy. Just as with in Krishna's pastimes, should I satisfy Chandravali or Radharani? And then he has to choose. Sometimes he chooses Chandravali and then Radha gets angry. <laughs> he chooses Radha then Chandravali gets angry. Huh? So, uh, but you know, it's different pastimes that result from each sort of choice. Well, yeah, the, 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 there's many various services, and if they're all directed to the Supreme Lord for His pleasure, then they're all equal in one sense. But at the same time, one may take precedence according to the particular situation, as in this case also, as explained by Uddhava later. In order to do this, we have to do this first. Uh, so the order may be different. It doesn't mean one is better than the other, but this, in terms of the pastime itself, then one should be done first in order that the second can take place in a better manner. So similarly, sometimes if there are various services, then we may have to do one first rather than the other for some practical reasons. If he reaches the stage of bhava and prema, then he experiences rasa. Before that is not there because the contamination is still there 
and the uh, the bhakti is not strong enough. Uh, so it requires presence of the Lord to have the rasa because they have to interact with the Lord. So the first presence of the Lord is in bhava, where you can see the Lord personally. Uh, so before that, we don't see the Lord. So therefore, the rasa is not developed. Secondarily, we can do it in a sense through deities or whatever like that. But even then, we don't realize the deity fully at that point. But in, in bhava, then even the deity becomes personal as well. No, I distinguish between happiness or bliss. He can just uh, hmm? how to experience it. How to know is it that real bliss or happiness? He may speculate why I'm getting bliss from this. You mean happiness? And, you mean happiness mean material? How to distinguish material happiness from spiritual happiness? Okay. Yeah. Well, there's, what, there's we don't call it bliss technically. We can call it spiritual happiness or satisfaction. So that is there automatically with the performance of bhakti and nectar devotion. Rupa Goswami says, you know, there's um, the um, subhada and kleshagni, first two qualities of bhakti that appear in sadhana bhakti, just destruction of kleshas, suffering, etc., and karmas, and manifestation of good qualities uh, or subha. And so one explanation of subha is happiness. Uh, so bhakti gives happiness. But it is not the happiness of uh, karma yoga, which is material assets and all that. It's not the happiness of liberation also, because the devotee also rejects that. But there is a happiness that comes out of performance of bhakti. Uh, but we don't call it ananda or bliss, because that, is when that, that term is used when we see Krishna and we directly serve him. Then we call that the ananda. So therefore we don't call it ananda, but we say it's a bhakti sukha before that. Face is in terms of mind. When you see a person, oh, he looks very happy. But he may be unhappy inside his mind. Mm. He may externally post his happy. Yeah. Uh, what are the symptoms in your spiritual life? The world he looks happy. Oh. Tell also. Well, uh, I think uh, uh, externally we may not know. And even for a bhava or prem bhakta, it may be difficult to understand. Uh, so therefore, it is said that you could not really describe the activities or qualities of the prem bhakta uh, because external symptoms are uh, not always visible. Uh, so it is also said that in order to understand them, one needs another devotee of great advancement to be able to detect it because he can appreciate their uh, internal symptoms by a few external symptoms. Uh, uh, of course, in the nectar devotion, Rupa Goswami does give a little list for bhav bhaktas. They're attached from material things. They're attached to chanting, attached to living in the Dham. They have great eagerness to attain the Lord, like this. See, so he gives like uh, some qualities there. Uh, but it's not an exhaustive list also. What does you see that uh, the nature of the nature of Radharanyam Chandramani is mm. completely opposite nature? And if sometimes uh, Krishna doesn't go to Radharani, Mm -hmm. So, how, what to take less from here, you know, because the devotee should follow here Radharani and Lakshmi Well, that's a preference. You could, uh, as a jiva, we could, if, if we choose Madhurya Rasa, then we could choose any group. There's Chandravali's group, there's Radha's group, there's other groups also, neutral groups. Uh, you know, other groups that are favorable to Radha, other groups that are favorable to 
Chandravali's group like that. There are many, many different groups. So in Ujjwal Nilamani is described as all sorts of different gopis with different personalities. So technically one could uh, choose any of these and follow after them. But uh, in our Sampradaya we follow after Radha <laughs> because she's the topmost gopi and has a topmost bliss. Well, if one's on that spiritual level, yeah. in the material level, it may be just material anger. 